time for doping. And I want to sing a song for you. Damn, Chris gonna show you a thing or two. coming at you with music and fun. And if you're not careful, you might learn something before it's done. episode is brought to you by Work at Health, now offering medication in California and Michigan and coaching and addiction courses in all 50 states. Get treatment from your living room. Work at Health provides online therapy, coaching, engaging online courses that help you live without drugs and medication-assisted treatment like Suboxone and Vivitrol when needed. Your Work It program can be done together with the 12 steps or as a standalone solution. Get help at home. Visit workathealth.com slash dopey um, now to sign up or just to get more info. That's workathealth.com slash dopey. And hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And I'm Dave. And that was the new Work at Health ad. So I'll clap alone in my attic because I am sitting alone in my attic recording Dopey for all of you good people out there. Um, as I always like to say, Dopey doesn't exist without the Dopey Nation because, well, maybe I would do it by myself at this point, even if nobody was listening. But you guys are listening, and that is cool. And one of the members of the Dopey Nation is Callie over at Work at Health, and she was kind enough to sponsor this episode, which is so cool. So if you guys uh, need help and you're fucked and you're in trouble, uh, go to workathealth.com slash dopey and they will help you out. You know, I mean, I've never been a huge proponent of um, things like Suboxone and Vivitrol, but if you're fucked, uh, I'm, I'm all for all the help you can get. And it sounds like Work at Health can give you help. So if you need help, if you're fucked up out there and uh, you don't know what to do, that's something you can do. Um... Man, I loved doing ads with Chris. It was always the funniest thing. And uh, I have a bunch of stuff to talk about before we move forward. And the first thing is I wanted to say what's up to Megan and Bobby in uh, the Addictionary Podcast in Boston. 
I don't know if you guys know about this, but there's this podcast called The Addictionary, and Chris uh, was very close friends with Megan at school. They were classmates, and Chris had encouraged, Megan had come on Dopey, and Chris had encouraged her to start a podcast, so she did, and um, and she put a lot of energy into the podcast, and she got a lot of the same guests that Dopey had, but she had a very cool Boston accent, and uh, we love Megan and Bobby. Bobby's accent might even be better than Megan's, but that's not for me to say. The thing I wanted to say is that Megan had just put out this episode on the Addictionary podcast that's like four hours long, and it is all dedicated to Chris. It's a, a tribute to Chris. It was where I came up with the Christmas concept, and uh, I do an interview. Bob Forrest, the recovery podcast whore, does uh, an episode. We love Bob, even though he's a recovery podcast whore. Um, I'm surprised... Uh, that sober guy and Amy Dresner didn't jump in there, or Anna David, all these podcast whores, or our good friend Jed or Scott Countryman. But um, so Bob did one, I did one, Chris's girlfriend Annie did one, and then a bunch of Chris's classmates did it. And all through her tribute, it's peppered with old dopey clips that will make you get teary eyed. And uh, Megan actually sent me um, this compilation of dopey clips, and uh, I think I probably should play you something. Uh, I'm going to play you something. I wasn't going to, but I'm going to. Hold on. Let me get it together. This is like uh, from when we had just started doing the show um, in my apartment on the Lower East Side. And we would record the show. We didn't have a microphone. We just talked into the computer. And I was smoking cigarettes uh, on the terrace. And um, I would leave Chris alone with the show and I would go smoke. So this was that scenario and um you'll listen to it it's very cute hold on no, you talk no, for no, a you're second. gonna continue just it. talk just talk for a second okay. all right well listen dopey audience while dave is getting his cigarette Don't he hates it up. he hates it when i say or when i type lol to him so i'm gonna try to say lol as listen, this is this reaction. Be my last cigarette ever yeah i'm sure dude you don't even try it. What did you say? Nothing. No, what did you say? I didn't say anything. Just tell me what you I said. swear I didn't say anything. I'm going to hear about it. Yeah, you're going to hear about it. What did you say? Man, just continue with the show. What did I say? What was my story? Um, you were at SUNY Purchase. Sneak into the next game. <laughs> LOL. I had just decided we would. Why did you say LOL? Because it was funny. What was funny? Well, you just said. You didn't have a plan. It's an LOL moment. Are you trying to get me mad? What do you mean? <laughs> I don't like LOL. You don't? Because you know I don't like it. Why do you say LOL? You don't even, you know, you say that? Do people say LOL? I think it's a new thing. Are you just trying to get me mad? Is that what you whispered when I was in the other room? That you were going to say that you are going to say LOL? Was this your thing? This was my thing. Is this your bit? Is this, am, I, am I right? Yeah. Is that what you did? Yeah. Please don't say LOL or text it. Okay. All right, continue though. So you're just sneaking to the game. Yes. And then what happened? So we go... Wait, how... So you were going to sneak in first of all. I didn't even process this. I was just waiting to drop the LOL. How are you going to sneak into a Knicks so that game? is what you whispered? That's fucking impossible. That is what you whispered? That is what I whispered, yeah. So that's the classic uh, dopey LOL story. It's, uh, it's, you know, heartbreaking and also so sweet to hear Chris on the show and to hear me and Chris, which is why dopey was always great and why you guys loved it because it was just incredibly sweet to have the two of us doing that stuff. And uh, Megan gave me 40 minutes of memories 
And I'm going to put together eventually some sort of best of Dopey. And I think I'm also going to be able to start putting out uh, lost tapes here and there when um, when I think we need them. So uh, moving on, I just want to say a thank you again to everybody in the Dopey Nation. I don't know if you guys know about the Dopey Nation group on Facebook. They just started it, and it's already at like 440 people. And if you guys are into Dopey, you should go on the Dopey Nation group. And this voicemail that I just got was from one of the founders of the Dopey Nation group. His name is Andrew. Sweet, sweet guy. He's in recovery. And uh, it's actually a story about early recovery, which is uh, what I always thought Dopey could be. I thought Dopey could be like stupid shit addicts do in early recovery. But um, And Chris and I argued about it. You know, what the fuck? Uh, I love the drug stories too. And the drug stories are incredibly crazy and magical and just like, you can't believe you did that shit. But once you get clean, you start doing stuff that you never could have anticipated could happen when you were a drug addict. And this is one of those stories. It's from Andrew. He calls it the cat in the wall story. Hey, Dopey Nation. This is Andrew G. from Philly. What's going on? What's up, Dave? Um, I'm calling to leave another voicemail. The last time I called in... My voicemail was on episode 86, and it was the Christian book story. Um, So I guess when I heard about Chris, I was at work. Uh, I work as a food scientist, and I was in my lab, and I looked down at my phone, and I saw the, uh, you know, the post from Dave that Chris OD'd, and it just felt like I got punched in the fucking stomach, and, uh... I couldn't believe it. I um, I messaged Dave like, is this true? Or whatever I said. And he basically confirmed. And I was just shocked. Um, and it's really all I could think about for days. And I know that I was... I kept going on the Dopey page, the Facebook page, and seeing what everyone was writing. And, uh, and at one point... I thought that we should have a group and a girl on there who is the one of the moderators, Paulina, she's out in California, suggested a group and I um, started the Facebook group, the Dopey Nation group. So um, that has been going really well, I think, and it's been really beneficial to, uh, to me and I think to other people where we can all, um, you know, talk about what's going on in sobriety and what happened with Chris and uh problems that you're having and and for me it was just I felt (laughs) I felt stupid that I was like so affected by Chris's passing but then when I got on the page and I saw that so many other people like felt exactly the same way it was uh I don't know how to put it it was comforting to know that you know that dopey means a lot to me and it means a lot to other people too which i think is like just a testament to dave and chris and and also just the power that um you know the power of one addict relating to another which is the kind of all what the 12 steps are about and what you know what held how i experienced recovery and dave and chris so uh yeah it's it's a powerful thing Um, All right, I got a quick story for you, and it doesn't involve any drugs, which you might be like, what the fuck, 
what kind of story is that for Dopey, but um, I'm going to try and make it relate. So it's this is the uh, cat in the wall story. So I had like maybe two or three weeks sober, and uh, a lot of people do dumb shit in early recovery, and I was no, um, no exception. So after a couple weeks sober, I decided that I wanted a cat, and uh, I was still living in my shitty, like, squalor of apartment. It was just like a dump, and um, I uh, went on Craigslist or something, and I found this cat, and I was like an emotional train wreck my first couple months. I don't know about anyone else. Well, I do know a lot about everyone else. I'm sure most people feel that way. Um, just completely ill-equipped to handle life. So I don't know why I even thought I could take care of a cat. <laughs> but uh, I went and got this cat. I went over to West Philly and got it from a nice lady. And um, it was a street cat initially. She was a rescue. And I brought her home and, uh, and I let her out. And I had forgot that my apartment, it was such a dump. But um, at one point, my landlord had an electrician come up and uh, do some work. And he cut a hole in the wall to get to some wiring or whatever. And the guy never, like, patched it up. So there was just, like, an open hole in the wall. And I was on the third floor of one of these, like, old, uh, old Philly houses. And me being, like, a drug addict, I didn't really give a shit either. So I just put a chair in front of the wall and continued on my business. Um... I, uh, so the cat got out of the, got out and it went uh, under my bed. And then next thing I know, the cat's gone. And I'm like thinking I'm hallucinating or something. Like where the fuck is the cat? It's a tiny apartment, one bedroom. Um, and I completely lost the cat. I'm like, where the hell is the cat? And I'm looking around, looking around. And I fucking look up at the wall and I see the hole in the wall and it hits me. And I think, holy shit. You know, the cat is in the wall. And I look back in the hole and I don't see her anywhere. So, uh, like I said, I'm an emotional wreck and at this point just because it's so early in recovery. Um, and I didn't know what to do. I called my mom um, <laughs> crying hysterically because I have like a real soft spot for animals. And I'm just thinking like this cat is in the wall and she's gonna die in there. And like days are going by, you know? I don't see the cat, days are going by. And she's gone and I'm picturing her like falling through the house cause I'm on the third floor, like falling down into the basement, you know? Or just getting stuck in there and starving to death. And I'm just thinking I'm such a piece of shit. Like I can't, I, I killed this cat that, you know, all I wanted to do was get and take care of, so. So days are going by. At one point I went and got some wet food and I put it in the wall and uh, like down on a joist under the floor. I reached down and put it down there and I went out and it's all I could think about for days, this cat in my wall. And I'm crying on the phone to my sponsor, to my mom, the cat, the cat, the cat. So I go home and uh, the wet food that I put in the wall like maybe three hours, four hours before, it was completely gone. Not like it was empty, like the can was gone. And I'm like, what the fuck? Maybe I didn't put it, I'm thinking maybe I didn't put it there or like, I'm losing my mind, you know? Cause I basically wasn't sane at this point. 
just because I, you know, I hadn't done any step work, I was newly sober, just a raving lunatic. So the, the wet food's gone. Um, a few hours later, or whenever, whatever time later, I get another can of wet food and I open it and I put it uh, in the same place and I wait a couple minutes and I reach down there and uh, get the food out and I look at the can and it's half empty. And I think, oh my God, this cat is definitely like right there in the wall. So I reach my arm down with the phone and I'm recording and I catch her on video, you know, sitting on a joist under my floor, basically, between uh, like the subfloor and the hall and the apartment downstairs, their ceiling. And like on each side of the joist, it's just pitch black. Like, you know, she could, <laughs> she could have dropped off into total darkness. So what I did was opened another can of wet food, um, put it in my apartment, not in the hole, like on the floor, and I went out to work, and I came home, and I tiptoed up the steps, and uh, cracked the door open, and I just jetted into my bedroom, like, fast as I could, and as soon as I got in the bedroom, the cat was there, and she saw me, and I ran to the hole, and she darted toward the hole, too, and we both got there at the same time, and bow, I blocked the hole off with my hands, you know? And she, uh, she couldn't get back in. So then I, you know, I ended up blocking the hole off. And, uh, and that's it. That's the story of how I got the cat out of the wall. Um, it was a very traumatizing time in my life. Because like I said, I was, uh, you know, newly sober. And, um, and I really love animals. So I was, like, devastated that I had killed this cat. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, that ended up not being the case. I still have her today. This is, uh you know, six years later, five years later, I mean, and, um, she's doing well. So, uh, yeah, that's my cat in the wall story. It's kind of cheesy, I guess, but uh, who knows? We'll see. Um, people like it. People laugh at it for whatever reason, just cause <laughs> it affected me so deeply. My sponsor loves to tell people about it. Um, so yeah, that's all I got. Thanks for letting me share. Um, I look forward to seeing everyone on the dopey page. Dave, I think you are killing it right now, honestly, considering the circumstances. And uh, it's really been awesome being in touch with you and talking to you. Uh, we talked on the phone once, which was really cool for me. I was kind of geeking out that you called me. But, uh, you know, I, I, love, I love Dopey. I love Dave. I love Chris. Um, so I'm glad it's continuing. And... Uh, Hope everyone out there stays strong. And uh, yeah, that's it. Toodles. I don't know. I love the, the cat on the wall story. And I think Chris would love it. And, uh, and thank you, Andrew, for sending it in. Uh, totally like sweet, feel good, dopey story of the century. Fucking cat in the wall. Chris loved cats, even though he abused his animals. He, he loved cats and he loved, uh, he loved his stupid dog he had with Annie. And even though the dog made him crazy. In the end, the dog was like his excuse to go downstairs and get high. So I'm sure he, he was grateful that the dog existed for that. Um, if you guys want to send anything in, you send it to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to write a review, you write a review. Interesting news. Uh, I have fixed the Dopey Podcast store if you want to buy anything you got to use the credit card. The PayPal, for some reason, doesn't work. And in other news, I'm actually selling Dopey hats. 
because I can't afford to give them all away. And I have these very cool stickers. So I'm giving out stickers with the hats. Hats are 25 bucks. I ship it to you, uh, PayPal or Venmo. I actually got a PayPal account that works, and I got a Venmo account, which like boggled my mind, and it works. So if you want to buy a hat, you want to support the show, you want to wear a dopey hat, then I'm going to start doing like cool merchandise and more stickers and I just like that kind of stuff, so I'm going to do it. Me and Chris never did it because Chris wouldn't do it. Chris wouldn't do it, and I didn't want to do everything, so we just didn't do it. Now I'm going to try to do it, and if you guys want to buy some shit, that would be great. Now we have uh, a crazy interview coming up now uh, with a, a somewhat famous woman. Her name is Amber Portwood. She made her name on an MTV show about a... Uh, 10 years ago called 16 and Pregnant. She was obviously pregnant. She's Then she went on to become uh, one of the teen moms. She went on uh, marriage boot camp. She wrote a book. She is a uh, huge uh, star in the world of reality TV and American culture, and she has a lot of dopey to share. So let's get Amber on the phone. So what's up, everybody? Um, this is crazy. I never would have thought that this interview was going to happen. But here we have international television star and gossip tabloid sensation Amber Portwood from Teen Mom on Dopey. You are you are a sensation sweeping the All nation. Right. <laughs> without a doubt. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. I mean, we're trying to figure out how to carry on with Dopey without uh, my partner Chris, who just died. I know you heard about. Yeah, Susan, uh, Susan Pinsky, she's a really good friend of mine, Dr. Drew's wife. Um, you know, we chat a lot, text and stuff, and, you know, she texted me a few days ago when I was in California and, you know, kind of told me that your co-host, um, you know, had passed away, which I'm really sorry about that, by the way. Um, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's crazy. And, uh, it is crazy, and, you know, she kind of, I kind of said, you know, hey, I'll be willing to go on there and kind of talk about my story and you know, have some fun with them and, you know, just uh, kind of lighten up the mood maybe and, you know, uh, just, I don't know. I've never really done, uh, I've never really, like, watched Dopey, so I don't really know what it's about or, like, what do you guys do? You know, but I heard, like, it's super funny, it's fun, it's, like, it's crazy, so it's right up my alley, I think. The idea is like, well, you can't watch it. You can only listen to it. And it's supposed oh, okay. to be, it's, I was going to be like, you should listen to it. You know, I was going to oh. text you that. But then it's like, who am I to tell you to listen to our stupid podcast? You know what I'm saying? I didn't want to, I didn't want to put you out. But at the same time, <laughs> I figured if you listen to it, you'd have a better idea. Cause like, I want to tell yeah. the fans like Amber, Amber Skyped with me and, and I had set up the Skype because when my old partner Chris had paid for this app that records Skypes. So in my yeah. head, I was like, oh, we could just Skype. But without Chris, I don't know how to fucking Skype and record the show. <laughs> so instead, you see my fucking big nose in the fucking thing as I'm trying to have the phone on the, on the microphone. It's better for me, though, because I can angle my phone to where I just look, I look so skinny. So this is great. I'm just yeah. going to keep it right up here. It's perfect. <laughs> I look like a monster, and you look very beautiful. Like, no, it's perfect. No, nothing. Just... just there we go just like that down angle so yeah um i've been reading about your story a little bit oh shit hold on (laughs) fucking this is the professionalism you were talking about 
talking about. I know. Amber, Amber, we were going to do the Skype, and Amber has a fucking faux fur backdrop, and she says that when she's on TRL, it, it's very professional. And, and, she, and, you know, Amber does all these gigantic shows, and here we are. Um, hey, every show's fun, though. I mean, when it, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, the VMAs, E! News, or, you know, Dr. Phil, whatever the hell it is. Like, I always just try to have fun with it and be honest and real. And, you know, I kind of treat every single interview the same, in a sense, no matter, like, the, how, the audience or how many viewers you have. So, I mean, I just like to, like, get my story out there to whoever wants to listen. And, you know, so it's always fun to me. That's right on. Um, let's Let's... I want to hear the story. You know, you're how old are you? Twenty six years old. It's been ten years since you started this thing. I'm twenty eight. I'm twenty eight. See, when I started, uh, when I started sixteen and pregnant, I was eighteen years old. How are they going to put um, an eighteen year old on sixteen and pregnant? Like the the main story is, is I didn't even sign up for the show. My brother actually signed up for a different show that was on MTV at the time, and they were scouting for teenage girls who were pregnant. So. Uh, you know, that's what I did. I, I, they sent me, they called me up one night. They said, Hey, we're scouting for girls who are pregnant. And I said, yeah, right. This is not in TV. It's bullshit. You know, I was from Anderson, Indiana, small town in Indiana. And, uh, you know, they're like, we're going to send you a hundred dollars in the mail with the check, with like the logo and shit on it. It was like Viacom, I think. Um, and they sent it to me and I was like, Holy shit, this is real. <laughs> so, so like they sent a tape and I just sent, I sent in my tape to them and like, it, I didn't even do what they asked me to do. Like they told, they wanted me to like show them my house and shit. And, and the whole time I just sat there petting my cat. Like it was just horrible. <laughs> and you were, you were 18 and you were pregnant obviously, right? Yeah, I was 18. I was pregnant. Uh, yeah. But you know, I was a very immature 18 year old at the time, so made sense that they picked me up right well had you been did you, did you watch a lot of mtv like were you super excited to be on mtv hell i watched a lot of like vh1 like um like what was that shit back in the day like tila tequila like yeah like for the uh, for the for the love those, of money and all that shit all those yeah, flavor yeah, flavor I watched, shows i watched all that stuff i didn't really watch mtv though like unless it was like jackass or Bam Margera or some shit like that. You, you know, love that reality like, TV. You were you were ready to jump into it. Uh, yeah, I guess you could say that. I mean, I never thought that it would ever happen. Um, but fuck, it did. So here I am today, 10 years later, and 28 years old, two kids, and <laughs> we're still going, so when you started. Crazy. When you started that, were you were you getting? Had you been messing with drugs before you started, or did it happen as a result of the fame? Like, what what's your story? Where did the drug story start? Yeah, well, I've been partying since I was probably about eleven years old. It's the first time I ever did pills. Um, you know, I just you know, in Anderson, there's not much to do, and uh, you know, a lot of kids at school, you know, they always brought shit from their house. You know, we didn't even know what happened when we were taking it we could have been taking heart pills for all we fucking knew and right. excuse my language you can curse oh okay <laughs> feel free um and uh you know so that's kind of where it started and then i when i got a little bit older i'd say about 15 16 years old i was started to dabble into like the partying and hanging out with some really bad people and that's when the pills started coming in a lot of um opiates things like that you know um, in my mind, I think I was just trying to self-medicate at the time, you know, probably very depressed. Um, 
you know. So, uh, it, and then it just kind of spiraled out of control. And it wasn't until I actually got pregnant with my daughter Leah that I stopped doing drugs altogether because I was so scared of like, right. something happening to her. Um, and a lot of people don't even believe me when I tell them that, but it's the truth. I mean, um, and then like six to seven months after Leah was born, I started taking uh, opiates again, medication for my back because I have scoliosis, and I got addicted, and just it went on from there. And the partying and when did you it was start? Crazy. When did you start identifying as an addict? I don't think I identified myself as an addict until I actually went to prison. Right. Um, when I went to prison, I, I was in drug court, and when I was in drug court, which is, uh, you know, something they put you in to try to get you clean, you do all of these meetings and things like that, um, I was actually, like, chewing fentanyl patches because it doesn't show up on labs and shit, and, uh, or it shows up in labs, but it doesn't show up on, like, the panels, and I... Fentanyl, fentanyl point, doesn't come up as an opiate? Uh, fentanyl doesn't come up on a, on a, um... The, the piss test thing you have to get labbed don't don't use that people shit don't fucking dude do you that. wouldn't believe these people that are listening they, they know every trick in the book don't worry don't worry about leading uh, them okay. astray the dope right, they know right, what's up good. don't worry okay well then they know it then they know what i'm saying so you know i was still doing that when i was in drug court so one day i walked into court I was out of my mind apparently because <laughs> i said to the judge i said i can't do this anymore send me to prison and that was my exact words um and he said you know do you know how long you have and i was like yeah five years and he said uh i mean then that if that's what you want then, then that's what we're gonna do and i opted out of drug court but the five years turned into five to two and a half years um in the state of indiana but um, you're you're rushing ahead of the story i had all sorts of questions I'm fucking, pre, I'm, I'm like, pre, I'm, pre-prison like you you went to prison because of um a domestic violence thing. Did you, did you yeah, feel? I, no, what are you going to say? So, so I went to prison for, um, domestic violence and also possession. Um, so I was on uh, probation for possession. I had like over 40 different pills, um, you know, opiates, sedatives, you know, all kinds of different stuff. You know, I was an addict you know, when you're an addict anything goes pretty much. Um, and, uh, you know, I got busted for that. And so, you know, I, they sent me, you know, to jail and I eventually went to prison because of it. Do you think that like when you were, you, when you were like, cause you're on that show, you're on teen mom. I know MTV is notorious for not paying a lot of money, but I bet you they still paid you pretty good. Right. It was all right. Exactly, exactly. You're, you're fucking uh, a 19-year-old, 20-year-old, 21-year-old, and, and you're getting paid through the roof, and everybody knows who you are. And do you think that, like, added to, to using? Do you think that made it like you wanted to use more? What was that about? I mean, here's the thing. I was doing this stuff before MTV came along, and I don't think I was ever going to be... I don't think I was stopping, you know? I think MTV could have came and went, and, and it still would have kind of went the same direction with with being an addict and I probably getting in trouble because it wasn't just that. I mean, I was also, I had really horrible anger problems because I'm, I'm bipolar and borderline, which is not an excuse, but at the time I didn't know it. So I wasn't really taking care of myself or really understanding why I was feeling these certain emotions. 
Um, right. So, you know, all I wanted to do, I would fucking, I'd go party every other day, be a Wednesday, and I'm at the fucking bar just beating out, like, whipping ass and shit, just, like, get kicked out of bars, or I got kicked out of our Walmart. Like, there's, like, pictures of me, like, beating up a girl in IHOP. It was just crazy. Like, my mind, just, like, I, I don't know where the hell I was. I was gone, you know? And, you know, you can blame the drugs for the most part, you know, with, like, kind of being impulsive, but... It wasn't just that, you know, it was just kind of me as a person, you know, I was just kind of a really angry kind of an asshole back in the day and I very immature and I had, I just had to like find, uh, find out what I needed to do to be healthy, you know? Well, I think you're being pretty hard on yourself. You were fucking 21 years old. You had the world at your fingertips. I mean, how mature were you expected to be? You're from a small town in Indiana. Like, what are you supposed to be? Like Gandhi or something? You, I mean, you yeah. lived it out. You were a drug addict with money and power. That's what happens. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can say that too. But I mean, beforehand, like, it, it all adds up, though. You know, it all adds up. Obviously, when you when you're making a lot of money, you know, there's more drugs. So I mean, that obviously didn't help. But it's kind of like it's like every time I do an, if I do an interview and people want me to blame MTV for something, it's like. Yeah, but I don't want you to really... blame MTV. I'm just, no, I'm no, just I'm looking saying... at it. I'm just looking at no, it. No, no, no. I know what you're, I know what you're saying. I, I, no, I get it. But what I'm saying is like, I always try to tell people, it's like you know, yeah, the money didn't help because obviously I had more means to getting drugs. I was, but the, you know, every time a drug dealer had, you know, a new stash of whatever, they call me first because they knew I'd buy the whole script. I mean, because yeah, I had the money to do it, so. It, it, you know, it, it, it never helps. <laughs> it never when, helps. When you were the go-to, like, customer, what was your go-to? Like, what would you get first? Like, what did you always need to have? So I was a horrible opiate addict. I mean, I would probably do 10 to 20 hydros to, you know, if they didn't have hydros, it'd be oxycotton or oxycodone, roxies. I mean, any, any kind of opiate that they had, I would, uh, you know, try to take and, you know, it was, uh, I think it was that feeling of um, just kind of not, you know, being aware that I liked, um, you know, because I think back in the day I was probably depressed and shit. So, uh, you know, that was my go-to thing. I know it. I can't really like, when I was your age then, I was on some bullshit show and I had like nothing like MTV, like nobody was really seeing it. And I, and I like, and I loved getting high. I loved smoking weed and I started to do Coke. And then like my dealer brought some heroin and I was on this little show and I was making like almost a hundred thousand dollars a year and I was 23. But I remember feeling so much, not necessarily anxiety of being on the show, but so much relief from being on opiates when I was on the show that, and I thought I could handle it. And I thought that it was like, it was a recipe for me to be cool on the show. Like, when I had yeah. my opiates, I didn't have to worry about being nervous about being on camera or anything. Yeah, mine goes mine goes a little bit further back, though, because I always had really bad anxiety. I had it when I was in high school. I had it when I was in middle school. I remember being, like, a kid and, and just always having this weird anxiety for absolutely no reason. So it was a recipe for a disaster because, I, you know, right when I was able to get something that made me feel pretty much invincible or no feelings whatsoever, no anxiety at all. I mean, that was, that was my poison. So it made everything so much easier, you know, being on camera and it made it so much easier going to school and hanging out with friends. And, you know, I think that's what, 
you know, you, you think that you're physically addicted, which you are, but there's also this aspect of, you know, you become this person that you're really not, you know, and you're kind of living this lie, you know, this dream kind of fantasy world, you know, and it's, you know, when you step back out in reality and you get sober, you're like, well, you know, what do I do now? Um, type of thing. So, it, you know, it, I've, I've always kind of been that way, though. Like, I've always had the anxiety since I was little. So, you know, it's kind of been there my, my whole life all the way up until MTV. And it definitely helped, uh, you know, the nerves. And But, you know, I could have... Yeah, <laughs> it was fucking... It, it did help, you know, it did help. But uh, now, today, like... I guess after doing it for so long, you just kind of like get used to it and you forget they're even there. And which I know for a lot of people, they can't really comprehend that. Like, how do you forget there's cameras there and there's like millions of people watching you? But you're used you to know, it. Yeah, you just get used to it. And, you know, it's just the way, you know, it's the way it goes when you, when you do something for so long. But with anything you do, something, anything that you do for a long time, you kind of just get used to it and it becomes kind of second your surroundings. Nature. And people, yeah. are, people are very critical of you all over the place. Oh, yeah. And have they been, has that always been, like, how it is with being on the show? And, like, how do you develop a thick skin? Do you think drugs were incredibly helpful in terms of, like, people's criticism? You know, here's the thing. Like, I think people like to attack people who have this I-don't-give-a-shit attitude, which I've always kind of had. Right. Um, you know, they want to get that rise out of you because they know that you've you're gonna you're gonna respond and you know i'm not one to just sit back and let people just you know say whatever they want or do whatever they want with me you know i like to have control over my life so i mean when it comes to like haters and things like that and what comes with being on television for such a long time you know you do grow this really thick skin and i think you know when i went to prison is actually when i really got hardened up a little bit more you know i realized i wasn't the baddest you know i, I couldn't just fight anybody i wanted to you know it was a humbling experience so i mean it's a uh, you know i i just kind of had to mature in a sense and, and step back and look at my life and realize you know yeah you might you might be you know a pretty hardcore chick but you know it, it doesn't mean that you always have to be so angry at the world and everybody around you whenever they say something so so you get busted you get into this firestorm with your 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 daughter's uh father you 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 get and you, it's all on camera and you have all these drugs and they're like you're fucked you're either gonna do probation you're gonna do rehab you're gonna or you're, or you're gonna go to jail and you chose jail and, um, well, I did rehab. I did rehab like a couple years before that. I, I went to out for two months. I went to this rehab in Malibu, California, called Seasons, which was amazing. Right. You know, it was it was really great. Um, you know, so I've been a rehab, prison, jail. You know, I pretty much did any fucking thing an addict probably could do um, when it comes to you know trouble. And. Uh, it, you know, the the sad thing is I feel like, you know, everything that happened in the past, you know, with my kid, like with, with Boo Boo, my daughter Leah, you know, I, I just, I wasn't a good mom, you know, I was very selfish and I was very immature and I wasn't, you know, really taking care of her the way that I should have been. And I don't think there's many addicts out there that can say that they're, you know, out of their minds on opiates and say that there's such a great mom, you know, when you're nodding out and shit like that. You could say so, it, but you know, but you, you know, could, you deep down it, it's not true. But it's not true. 
Um, so, you know, it's like... But it, why did you choose the jail? Why did you choose that? Nothing else was working. I almost... I, I had overdosed at my grandma's house on fentanyl. I was in the bathroom and it was, it was day, it was daylight when I was awake and, uh, I woke up on the floor, like, just like, just like drooling out of my mouth. Like it was nighttime. I, I, I had no clue how long I had been in there. There was also a time that I literally lost three days of my life. I didn't even know where they went. It was like, they were just gone. I blacked out for three days. And right. It was like, okay, so what's the next step, Amber? You're going to fucking die. You know, what? You know, nothing's working. Rehab didn't work. Gel wasn't working because you can get anything in there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I kind of just made the decision. You know, before I went to court that day, I told my, my grandma, I was like, uh, you know, I'm not going to come back. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to opt out today. And I told my, my pap all that, too. And he's like, you know you know, don't know, you're going to come back, you're going to come back. And, you know, he just didn't want to believe it. And that's how your family is, you know. Mm-hmm. They just they just want you to be better, and, and they think there's an easy fix. But I knew in my head there wasn't. Well, so, the que- you know, the- when I heard the story, I, I was of two minds. You know, one thought was you went to jail because you thought that was the only way you could get better. But then the other yeah. thought is you went to jail because you weren't interested in getting better and fuck it. You know what I mean? Like, there's two ways you could, you no. know, you weren't looking at it like that. Hell no. Uh, first of all, jail is not, or prison's not fun. It's fucking terrifying. It's absolutely horrible. So I, I don't think, I would rather get a rehab or right. do anything else other than that. I mean, um, for people, anybody who thinks that, you're fucking nuts, or you've just never been to prison. Um, it's the scariest thing you could ever do. Right. Um, so, no, I just, it, it, point blank, I knew what I was doing was wrong. I knew nothing was getting better. I had been talking about it with my family, you know, trying to get their perspective. They all didn't want me to do it, and I eventually just had to make the decision myself to I be honest with you the the first thing I tried to do my mom brought me to this like uh to to join the marines I had like an ankle bracelet on uh I had like a a fucking bracelet on that was like on house arrest at my grandma's house Mm -hmm. it was absolutely freaking horrible um and I was like listen like I need to change so what do I do I just need to do something hardcore and my mom came and picked me up and we went to like the local you know like um registry place or whatever for the marines the enlistment office or whatever the enlistment office and i you know i tried to sign up and you know everything was going good and i was like okay i got the angle you know thing on he's like we can't (laughs) why not like oh because you because you're a fucking prisoner right he's like he's like we can we can drop misdemeanors but we can't drop felonies and i think at the time i had like four felonies right like it's like he's like i was like oh shit I really thought that I was going to be able to do it. So, you know, it, it took me like a couple of weeks and I was like, all right, you know, today's my day in court to be there for my, like, I, I wasn't seeing my kid. I wasn't, I didn't have a relationship with her. I just wanted to get high. Like, I, I just knew that if I, I never, if I didn't do anything, like I was never going to have a relationship with Leah and you know in the end it just completely killed me you know and uh you know I tried to commit suicide not even a couple days before I did that um I took like 20 suboxins um who found you you? 
Um, nobody found me, actually. I was just in the room um, at my grandma's house. It was overnight, and um, I woke up, like, I woke up, like, the next, like, late afternoon, and I'm thinking, like, you know, you think if you take, like, 20 suboxins that you're, you're, you're done for. You know, I, I didn't really understand. I mean, after after like a few of them, you kind of lose count. So I'm kind of like guesstimating how many I took, but right. I know how many I got. Right. You know, and I didn't have many left is all I got to say. So I really don't know how I survived that. Did you call so the, I, Did you call 911 because you knew you were going to no. die? So how did you work? No. Nobody found you. So you just, you had a crazy suboxone tolerance. You were like, yeah. fuck it, I can handle 20. My to- I mean, my tolerance at that time, like, if you can imagine taking, it, I mean, I'm talking about since 11 years old. I, I mean, I was taking 10 to 20 hydro tins. I was taking multiple, like, Oxycontins. Um, I don't know how the hell I was still alive, honestly. But no heroin in Indiana. Um, there was a few parties where, you know, some shit got crazy. I've never shot up or anything like that, but, you know, um, you know, I was snorting and things like that, but I never like got it personally. I never sought it out or anything like that. But you had your people to give you pills anyway. Yeah, I did. That was my main thing. No, I hear you. And drinking probably, right? Alcohol? No, uh, I so hated drinking. I never drank. Oh, I, I hated it. I, I would, I would get, I would take pills and then go to the bar and then have one fucking drink and just be completely gone, like I, laying on the floor. I was the same so way. I, was like, I could not handle <laughs> drinking. I was exactly. It's like, way. how do you drink another drink when you're already on the fucking floor? It's like <laughs> it was done. So when it you was, first, when you first got to prison, were you using in prison, or was that not a thing? Oh, that's a thing. That's absolutely a thing. Uh, they had a plan for me, though, when I went to prison. Um, the, the prison had a plan for me. Because you were the biggest, me. you were the most famous prisoner they had ever had. You were the media darling and everything, right? They, when I when I actually rolled up to Rockville, which is the correctional facility that I, I was in, uh, they shut down the prison because people were just kind of acting crazy, I guess. Like, I don't know if they wanted to whoop my ass or what was going on. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Um, so they shut down the prison. I get in there and there's like these guards telling me that they might put me like in the hole because, uh, you know, they're afraid for my safety. And I'm like begging them not to put me in the fucking hole because that just sounds absolutely horrible. Uh, <laughs> yes. I was like, I, please I, don't I put me in the hole. Please don't put me in the hole. Like I swear I'll be fine. Like these people just have no clue who I am. I'm not a dick. I'm not, not like some snob, you know, like just just let me be. And they ended up putting me in intake and it was, it was everything was fine. And I remember talking to this guard and it was when we were doing intake and we're in this small room and they're like explaining the rules and all that bullshit. And she looks at me and she goes, So you think this is gonna be easier? And I looked at her and I was like, No, I don't think this is gonna be fucking easier. I was like, What do you like? No, like, what are you talking about? Like, obviously, she was reading too many newspapers because I don't know what the hell she was talking about. It wasn't easy at all. But did you get did you get to use in prison at all? Were you high in prison at all? I, when I was um, out in the hill, which is before I went in the cliff program, that right. means like out with everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there was a lot of drugs, and I used, and you know, we were making hooch and things like that, but. 
uh, when I got to the Cliff program, um, that's when you know you're really watched. Uh, you can't do you can't do a shit. Okay, um, it's like uh, it's like maximum maximum prison. Um, and uh, that's when I actually finally became sober and clean. And, and that, that was when you got then. clean. Mm-hmm. And did that's you, when I got clean. Was it twelve step? It was a twelve step. Uh, I mean, I. It was a 12 step, but it was a light, it was very light because they, it's like they didn't want to push it on you. Right. Um, maybe because it's a religious thing, because 12 step program usually is connected with some sort of religion or something like that. But they try to think, you know, they're like your higher power, of course. And, um, you know, I think the main thing, you know, in there with the 12 step, they always told us just always remember there's something greater than yourself. Right. Um, so that's what was always in my mind is I'm, I'm living for something greater than myself. I'm doing this for something greater than myself. And I'm also doing this for my family and myself. So, you know, it's, it helped, you know, it helped a lot. No, I, I had something else in common with you is that I was still using after I had my first daughter and, uh, and I know what that feels like. It's a, it's a terrible feeling and it's confusing because you still yeah. love getting high. It doesn't mean you don't love your kid. You still love getting yeah. high. And you don't want to be that person. You know, you have to undo it. And, and it and it takes a lot of undoing to find out who you actually are. You know, the idea yeah. of, of the great reality within of who you want to be. You know, it's like you got to get well, over yourself. that's what yourself. we try to escape from, you know. We try to escape from that, you know, the anxiety we try to escape from. We try to escape from all the heartache that we're feeling during our lives. Or the pain, you know, or just, you know, the hard work it takes to actually raise a child, you know, um, the crying, the, you know, everything that comes with it. And, you know, it, you've got to catch yourself eventually. But the, the sad thing is, as an addict, you never really catch yourself until it's kind of too late or you kind of hit that rock bottom. Well, that's a blessing, too, because look where you are now. That is a blessing. You know, look where you it are now. Blessing. You know, and it, you, you can be an inspiration. You have two beautiful kids. You seem happy. Now, I, I, have, a, I have a bunch of questions that came to me from big fans of yours. So can I read you fan oh, questions? Nice. Yes, yes. Well, the first question is just, there's a big story on some shit right now where they're talking about you, and they're saying that you just said something very cryptic on Instagram. Do you read about ah, yourself all shit. day? Do you, do you read this shit about yourself all day? Like, you're on everything, everything you say? Nobody cares anything I say. Nobody gives a shit if I say anything. And here we go. You say something, something cryptic, but it doesn't sound that cryptic. You say, looking forward to the future and leaving the stress behind me. But it will pay off in the end. What's cryptic about that? grow out of things sometimes and you realize that there's better things in the horizon and you know you just want to move forward and I think you kind of like sometimes you know after you do something for such a long time you see what it really is um and what they really want and then you realize well I'm not that person anymore so I can't give you what you want anymore so I'm going to do you a favor and step back how um, many... You can take that any way you want it. <laughs> so you're not going to tell me the, the truth behind the cryptic message on Instagram? You're no, not going to give me a dopey exclusive here? No, I'm going to lie to you. Okay, lie. <laughs> How many seasons of Teen Mom did you do clean? Oh, shit. Uh, just the ones outside of prison. So, like, what, what, three or four? Did it suck, or was it better, or what was it like? No, I, it, well, when I first got out, literally they filmed me leaving prison. 
Right. Um, and that was the Bean Yammer special. And I mean, I was so nervous. I was shaky. Like I was just physically shaky. I was on the verge of tears. Like I was first time seeing my kid. Like, I mean, it, it was, you know, I try to focus on that, you know, more so than anything, but like, it, I don't know. It was just, the like being, being on teen mom is, is, is really showed me like, you know, who I really am as a person in the end. You know what I mean? Like, like everybody saw how I was and they, I got the feedback and then I was like, and then I made me look in myself, you know, like, wow, am I really that person? Am I really a bad mom like that? Did I really fuck up when I did that? Or maybe that wasn't the right decision. So I kind of took that as kind of therapy for myself and to kind of change myself in a way. So it's almost like, it's almost like a video fucking reality TV version of an inventory. You know what I mean? Like it's taking your inventory. You see your worst character defects right on the screen. It must be very hard, but also you could probably learn a lot from it. Yeah, I mean, it was it was absolutely horrible to watch. I mean, you know, seeing some of the worst moments of your life because some of the worst moments of my life are on television. Like right. that's just the truth. Right. I mean, it was it's sad. Like you get all these you know emotions. You want to use again because of it. Right. And it's like you're thinking in your head, but if I do use again, I'm a fucking act like that again. So, you know, it's like it's back and forth, back and forth. But you know. Um, I think today, like, I finally got a grip on, you know, what I, who I really wanted to be and, like, you know, who I really am and how to, like, deal with, with all this drama without, uh, you know, going ab- absolutely insane. I could say that today. I couldn't say that, like, a year and a half ago on their boot camp when I was trying to whip everybody's ass on there. But I could say today I'm a completely different person. No, you know, I hear happy. you. It's hard, though. You know, it's hard to get to the other side. What was the worst yeah. thing? In, if you watched the worst of Amber on television, for you, what would be the worst thing you could see? Huh. I think people would want me to say yeah. when I hit, hit Gary. But that's not it. But that's not it. I think, uh, actually, the worst thing is, like, realizing last season that I kind of thought I was doing the right thing by keeping my daughter out of my life while I was depressed and drinking and things like that. Um, but that wasn't the right move. You know, that hurt. It really hurt to see that what I, the decision I made wasn't the right decision and it was hurting Leah. So, um, you know, when I, when I really saw that, you know, I got all this feedback from people, you're a horrible mom, you're this, you're that. People don't understand in my head, I thought I was doing the right thing. I didn't want Leah to see me that way, and I didn't want... I, I just don't want my daughter to be like that when she grows up. I don't want her to even know about that, so... You know, but then I realized, you know, she needed me in her life still, no matter what. So if I had to smile like I usually did anyways and act like I was happy, then that's what I should have did. But I think I felt like I was just really... Um, I was kind of having a mental breakdown and I didn't want her to see that but uh you know I I I could have handled the situation a little better and um you know people kind of very shitty you know told me how horrible I was for doing what I did um not that I agree with them because that's not what the intentions was I think people just want to write you off as like you know just like you don't give a damn you know um right but you were drinking. That's not the case. You were drinking last season, then. Mm-hmm. So I how was did? Drinking a lot. When, when did you? When did you stop? Did you stop? 
Yeah, I stopped. Uh, well, I stopped getting drunk, if that's what you're asking. But you still, you, you still can drink casually. <laughs> yeah. See, that's the thing. Like, like I didn't. So here's here was my thought process that made no no sense whatsoever. I was like, oh, well, I'm not going to do pills. Right. I'm doing so much better. So right. I'll just drink a little. You know, right. I've never had a pro- I've never had a problem with drinking. Right. So I was drinking to the point of where. I was drunk. I mean, and and, and that's just, that was my life, you know. Um, and I guess I just realized this. It's not. It's not what I wanted. It's not what I wanted in my life. I can't even remember what the hell was going on each day. You know, the next day comes. I don't know what I did the day before. You know, and I, I thought, you know, like I've I've been through too much to even get back to that point. You know, um, but it's. Uh, it's it's when when I stopped drinking finally like when I stopped drinking like that like now I can have a glass of wine every now and again it's definitely not every day it's not every month um, it's did like doctor did doctor Drew give you shit about drinking now he and always, again he's been giving me shit about drinking he's been giving me shit since we met I swear to God like I got his like, like listen me <laughs> doctor Drew is a great guy like like. I, I remember back in the day, he gave me his cell phone number, and if I had a problem, like, I could fucking, like, call this guy or text him. Yeah. And, like, he was there for me, you know? And, uh, you know, when he could be, he was a busy man, you know? So, yeah, he, you know, he, he helped out a lot. And he, he always called me out. It's like he could always see, like, you know, what I was doing. <laughs> like, he didn't, you, you're not worried, though, that, like, like, I know that I had gotten off heroin and I had gotten into smoking weed again because I loved smoking weed. And my partner now, who's dead, Chris, would always say to me when I was smoking weed and not shooting dope, he would say, well, you smoke pot until you do heroin again and you realize that you can't smoke pot, you know, and that happened. You know, do you ever feel like, I mean, like, do people ever say that to you? You can drink until you wind up taking opiates again and then you know you can't drink? Or is that too tough of a question? I, I mean, I'm I'm going with love here. It's all with love. Here's, you're you're here, a fellow addict, you know. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Like, you know, I have my own personal beliefs when it comes to my addiction, which keeps me going. Everybody is has to own? do yeah. certain. Everybody has to do certain things to stay sober in their minds. You know what I mean? It, if it's not one thing, it's the other thing. I, the thing is, is as long as you don't take something to replace another addiction. Like, I'm not taking alcohol and replacing it. You know you know, using alcohol instead of doing opiates because I'm, I'm barely drinking whatsoever. And if I do, I'm not fucking taking shots to the head. You know what I mean? Um, but when it comes to weed, like, I could give a fuck about weed. Are you kidding me? I guess California, like California it's fucking legal. And Colorado, it's legal. It's legal, it's legal in many places. And, and honestly, for the medications that I take for bipolar and borderline, I'd rather smoke weed than take these medications because the things that these medications are doing to my body and my liver compared to, you know, other things that I could be doing if it was legal here in Indiana, I mean, I probably would feel a lot better and I wouldn't wake up every morning with my liver feeling like it's swollen, right. you know, and aching. So, you know, um, if people want to think of weed in that sense, they can. But my personal opinion is, you know, I don't think weed is like this gateway drug unless you're smoking that crazy shit off the streets. I mean, that's what that's the shit you need to stay away from. I mean, in my experience and, you know, I'm an old I'm an old man and I'm an old heroin addict. <laughs> and in my experience, you know, I loved weed and I loved being able to smoke it. 
but it opened me up to other things and then I found that I love the other things more you know and I don't right. I don't do anything because I lo- I personally I love being in recovery I love being sober um, and I got as high as I ever was going to get I'm yeah. never going to get higher than I got um, you know I, I used to be kind of like spiteful against people that were in recovery that smoked weed or drank but it's like after my fucking partner just turns up dead it's like everybody should just live their best life they can live as far as I can you know look at it the you know way what I'm that I'm coming, yeah the way that I'm coming at it though is from a different perspective like I'm not talking about like smoking weed recreationally That's you're talking about I'm medicinally but where does I'm one thing stop and the other one start because you get high that's where that's where things always get twisted that's where that's when things here here's 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 from my perspective i don't take any medication at all i'm fucking nuts okay mm-hmm. uh, I, i'm like going off the wall i'm pissed at everybody everything's irritating me i'm fucking punching you in the face right. i'm going to jail so we can we can take that aspect okay and then we say okay hey what do we need to do to fix that? Well, obviously, what do we do? We take medicine. So what do I have to do? I have to take fucking Cymbalta. I have to take mood stabilizers. I have to take an anxiety pill. I'm a fucking zombie, okay? So I'm walking around like a zombie and trying to figure out how I'm going to live my life or even have energy to move around. Um, so, you know, it, there's one thing where you're doing a recreational and there's another thing where you're looking at it medicinal. And I think when people abuse any sort of drug, abuse alcohol, abuse weed, cause you can abuse weed. Like if you're waking up in the morning and you're fucking, you're, you know, wake and bake and you're doing it all day long to the point that you get to work, you can't even function or push a button or you get a problem, you know, and that's just not where I'm at in my life. You know, it, what I'm coming from is. The, the, the medicinal point of it because taking pills I the, the sad thing is I still have to take pills I don't fucking want to take pills I still have to or you know and people say this is an excuse unless you have a mental illness I don't want to hear a fucking word you have to say so it, it's like I have to take these pills wake up every morning with a swollen stomach my liver feeling like shit you know or I could smoke weed and not feel like anything. And I, and I won't have to feel the effects later. If I have an anxiety attack, I smoke some weed. I don't have to take a pill that's going to last me four to six fucking hours where I'm just like, you know, conked out. Does weed give you the same that. benefits of the, as the pills? Um, when I was smoking weed back in the day, I remember it helping me out just fine. Uh, no, the, the pills were so much more like... Shit was crazy. I mean, I, it was like I said. I, there was days I was like blacking out. It was, no, no. I mean, I mean, weed as medicine versus the the psych meds. You know what I'm saying? Can weed give you the same benefits as the anti bipolar and all those those drugs? No, no. It, it, it can't when it comes to like you know the anti. It, it can't when it comes to antidepressant and things like that. But it can when it comes to anxiety, which is something that I've had longer than anything else. Um, so were you bummed to move back to Indiana where you can't smoke legally? I mean, in California, you can do whatever you want. Um, I mean, no, because, I mean, unless I was an addict, I mean, shit, it's, it's, no. <laughs> but there are, I mean, medicinally, I mean, listen, I personally think that nobody who's an opiate addict should smoke weed. I think it's, it, it can cause many problems. And I worry about you with the drinking, too, but I can't tell you what to do. You know what I mean? You do. Yeah. I, I, but I have I to say you. that I worry... Because, like, I don't know you, but you have right. two kids. 
You know, yeah. you seem like your head is on your on your fucking body. Your life is better than it's been in a long time. So, yeah. like, I recommend doing whatever you can to not fuck with anything that can set you off because you yeah. finally have everything back in your grasp. Yeah, absolutely. You know yeah, what I mean. I mean, I feel no, like a no, dick to even say it. No, listen, honestly, when it comes to me, uh, anybody that talks to me, like, I, it's not necessarily that I'm going to take it to heart. Like, I'm going to listen to exactly what you have to say. And, and, I, and sometimes I even, you know, kind of take something out of it. But um, you, you know, think you're going to take something out of this? Yeah, I can take something out of this, absolutely. Right I'm going to stop drinking right fucking now. No, we're drinking. That's it. There you go, done. Promise. Good. Don't promise. Really? Easy. Yeah, That's I it. promise. I'm holding, you hold me to it, and, and I'll stop right now. So this is the dopey fucking breakthrough that this is Amber Portwood renouncing alcohol on dopey? I won't have a glass of wine when I go to dinner next month or fucking next week. I won't. This is true? Anything. I Tell Andrew. Guy. Tell Andrew to sign you down. You know, this is it. It's signed. It's signed down. It's done. Awesome. It's done. That's so exciting. Here, here. Well, let me give you another super fan question. Okay. I, I so don't know the answers to this. Okay. What would you tell your daughter about your um, Leah about your history? Like, what are you gonna tell her, and when are you gonna tell her? So Leah, she's such a smart girl. Um, straight A honor roll. Um, just just intuitive she i've already kind of explained to her some things because obviously she knew that i went to prison and um you know i kind of told her listen you know mommy was sick i uh you know you know mom was doing drugs that was uh hurting my life and you told her that and what did she say i did she understood what i was saying and she just pretty much said you're not going to do that anymore and i said no i won't do that anymore i'm never going to do anything that's going to take me away from you again um, and I made that promise to her when I got out of prison the very night that I got out and she stayed the night with me and she looked over at me and she said, uh, are you going to be here in the morning is what she said to me. Mm. And I almost just died. Um, and I looked at her and I said, I'm never leaving you again. And, uh, you know, ever since then I've been keeping my promise to her. Is that you why know? you moved back to Indiana? Because she, yeah. cause that's where the dude lives, Gary, whatever. Um, this is where my daughter is, you know, I, I can never leave my daughter. She's too important to me. I'm too important to her. And I feel like, you know, MTV doesn't really show our real relationship. Of course. Um, You're, you're a fucking reality show's dream that they can show all the fire and brimstone (laughs) without showing like the, you know, the good stuff, but that's how it is. (laughs) But, uh, you know, it's, uh, Leah knows, uh, to a certain extent, you know, she doesn't know everything. She doesn't know what I was taking or, or what crazy shit I was doing she just knows that mom was you know sick in a way and and was trying you know doing bad things and you know when she gets a little bit older and I'm sure she's already heard from many people what's you know about me my poor kids man they're gonna just hear about how crazy their fucking mom is I swear they are but then you just Um, show them you show them something else and you say that's what it was and this is what it is I mean you have the freedom to do whatever you want you know without a doubt Honestly, what I'm going to do is just say, listen, you don't want to go through that shit, do you? So you better not do what I did. There you go. Like, this is the example right here. Don't do this or this will happen. Like, 
You know, I just, you know, but Leah, she's, she's different. You know, I remember when I was her age, she's just, she's completely different. She doesn't she's, show the, the predisposition to she's it. She's not showing it. No. And I also understand. She, she's not, she was she's not raised like I was either. I was raised in an alcoholic family, you know, things like that. So, right. you know, she's got a chance in a sense to be a, to be a whatever the hell she wants to be. Well, that's cool. And then you, and just your fame and the money can really give her some freedom as things move forward. Yeah, we try uh, We try not to, like, spoil her, though, or spoil our kids because, you know, we. Came, I came from nothing. There was times where we didn't have food, we didn't have hot water, we didn't have fucking heat over a winter, you know? So it's like, I want. I don't want that for her, but no. I, want her to, I want her to know that there's consequences to whatever the hell she's, she does, and I want her to know that she needs to work hard to really... Because this right here is not reality. We, You know, you don't just make money like this from when, when you don't have a talent, you know? So I try to tell her, there's no real raw talent in this. You need to go to college. You well, that's what I meant. I meant you have the money to pay for whatever education she wants. And she yeah, and, and, and it's like a lot of freedom so, there. I'm so proud of that because, you know, all, I, all you want is the best for your kids. That's all, that's all you ever want. Yeah. You know? So, you know, I haven't... Having that money and having this money, I already have the money set aside. Me, me and Gary, her father, have this money set aside in two different accounts waiting for college because we have dreams for 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 her because we both, you know, we didn't have that. Right. We didn't have, you know, college funds and things like that. So we just want her to be better. Well, Amber, you're still a young woman, though. What's your dream? What's next? More teen mom or is the, is the cryptic Instagram message that teen mom is over? So my dream going forward is is to grow and actually help people now you know I think I've helped who I could on Teen Mom and I would love to keep helping people on Teen Mom I just feel like the show might be moving a different direction right uh than where I thought it was going so uh, you know the next thing that I do that you guys will be seeing from me is going to be something uh, pretty impactful and, and, and very heartfelt and something it's going to work because it's going to be real. And, uh, I said something I pride myself on since I've been in this reality world is that I'm, I am just real. Like there's nothing you can fucking find on me. You know, you can dig as deep as you want. There's, there's, you're never going to find anything on me, you know? So it's like, you know, I, I really want to do something that's going to impact people's lives personally and change people's lives personally. And I want to be the person to kind of push that because I feel like all the things that I've been through in life, uh, there's a reason for it. You know, I'm 28 years old. I've been to rehab, prison, jail, almost died, overdosed. Suicide like, attempts. Try to commit suicide. I mean, Jesus. There Fighting on, on marriage boot camp. You name yeah, it, you've done yeah, it. I mean, Lord. So it's time It's time to like get to the next step of my life and become the actual adult that I believe that I am today. So, What know, do you think? Talk show? Amber talking with Amber? Amber helps people? Um, it's something like, something, something like that. Um, but I think a little bit more impactful, a little bit more personal, uh, one-on-one kind of following lives type things. So, um, and kind of like actually taking people's lives and twisting it upside down and, and fucking showing them this is where you came from, but this is where you can be. Cause you know, I kind of did that myself. Um, all you need is a person to care and to really push you forward. So, you know, that's, that's when I come in and, and give my strength 
to people who don't have strength at the moment and just show them what they can do. Are you thinking like school, like social work school? Or are you thinking like do it through through MTV, do it through um, Netflix, do some shit, pitch a show that helps well, people? I'm blessed, you know, being in the industry for 10 years and have really amazing friends and connections. Um, so whatever I do, I want to do it on a large scale so I can really impact a lot of lives um, because I felt I feel like with uh, Teen Mom, I was able to do that. Um, so I want to keep doing that, you know, but I want to do more. You know, I'm at that point in my life where I feel like I can do more and I should be doing more. So uh, that's, you know, that's what my next step should be. That sounds good to me. And thank you so much for calling in with us. It's so cool. I'm very yeah. honored that you gave us so much time. And I'm yeah, honored that you made the solemn no more drinking promise to the Dopey Nation. I swear. <laughs> I swear. No more drinking, okay? Really? Why is it so easy to I, say that? You don't give a shit. Fuck it. Because I'm not a fucking alcoholic. I don't care. I don't care about drinking. What about weed? Are you going to go back to smoking butt or what? I don't smoke weed. I live in Indiana. Shit's not even legal here. It's fucking it's horrible. <laughs> Amber, thank you so much for coming on the show. All right. Will you do me thank a favor? You. Yeah. Listen to an old episode and tell me what you think. All right, I can do that. Because the old episodes were really funny. I'm scared the show's going to be no good. Maybe you should be the new host of Dopey with me, because we need a new host. What, you need a new co-host? I need a co-host, man. Bad. Co-host? But we're in New York. Is there chemistry here for that? Well, you t- I mean, I'm holding the fucking phone up my nose, so you can't really <laughs> tell if there's chemistry. You can only tell if you sat with me. Do you feel chemistry? You don't shiny. feel I was at the beach yesterday. I'm fucking a little sunburned. Give me a break. Anyway, I'll get back to you, all right? Be in touch and thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. And have a good one and let me know what's going on, all right? Yeah, of course. Bye, Ann. Later. All right, that was Amber Portwood from Teen Mom. You know, I think she was pretty fucking brave to come on the show and she said a bunch of, you know, pretty telling stuff. And I said something that I didn't really like that I said, which was kind of saying it's okay to be in recovery and drink and smoke weed. I don't know how much I actually said it. I just know that I don't really think that. And I don't really understand uh, recovery while using. But having said that, Amber did say she uh, wasn't going to drink again. And I actually texted her. That was like last week. I texted her yesterday and she said she's still not drinking. So you got to give her uh, major credit for coming on the show, saying something, and then uh, saying that uh, she's sticking with it. And also, it's just cool that she came on the show at all. Um, So before we go, I wanted to read you this amazing note I got from this woman on Facebook. Um, Her name is Ellen. She's from Australia. We have this amazing Australian dopey audience, all these junkies in Australia, in and out of recovery. I'm just going to read this real quick. Um, It says, Hey Dave, I just wanted to send you a message about the impact Dopey has had on me. I messaged you on Facebook right after Chris passed, but this will be a bit deeper. I found Dopey by searching Suboxone in the podcast app as I was about to start my second detox after a pretty hardcore prescription addiction that had slowly come to ruin my life. I'm 23 and had been an addict for maybe seven years, but had only been trying to get clean since the start of this year. Since February of this year, I failed university, lost countless friends, lost my pretty impressive job working for a political party, and had a huge falling out with my grandma and auntie, the people who raised me, the only people I had left. 
I was alone, depressed, unemployed, and all I cared about was feeding my habit. Trying to get clean made me realize just how fucked up I was. Even if I came across as a high-functioning addict, my life had begun to no longer function. I can't even count how much oxy and codeine I was going through towards the end just to feel normal. The high had been gone for years. Now that I look back... I spiraled down to a very low point, fully intending to cop a bag of dope and end my life when I was done. In the car, waiting for the dealer, I had a moment of clarity and realized I didn't need to spiral further into my addiction and could stop before I fell into a trap I didn't know I would have been able to come out of. I decided to get clean for good and stop my problem with prescription opiates. I started on Suboxone, but only for a month. When I came off Suboxone, the only thing I could do uh, for months, was sit on my couch, drive to 7-Eleven, and get coffee, um, sit in my car and listen to Dopey and smoke cigarettes. I was severely depressed and never slept, and Dopey kept me sane. All my friends are normal college students, and I was the junkie pariah going through withdrawals. I'm not a 12-step kind of gal, and I have been on my own, and I've had my own path to recovery, and I'm sober now. Uh, for four months, but Dopey gave me a huge insight into what the fellowships can do. I always felt like AA and NA didn't work and was a cult and could never really change or help a person, but Dopey made me feel less cynical towards the program. Your podcast inspired me to give something a try that I had been putting off for years, starting a relationship with my father again. He was a hardcore heroin addict my whole life, and I hadn't seen him in 13 years. He's two years clean thanks to the power of 12-step recovery, and the insights I got from Dopey about NA and AA make me more empathetic to his path to recovery and how much he could have possibly changed. Having my own experience with addiction, I understood some of what he had been through, but I didn't believe he could truly change that much. We saw each other for the first time last weekend, and it was amazing. He has changed so much as a person. He takes so much accountability and has stripped away so much of the narcissism that I experienced as a kid. I genuinely don't think I would have been willing to give him a chance again if it wasn't for Dopey and the insights you have given into recovery. Keep it going, Dave. I just wish Chris could have understood the huge impact Dopey actually has and that he was still here. So that's from Alan. I don't really understand the last line. I just wish Chris could have understood the impact Dopey actually has and that he was still here. I, I Yeah, I don't get that. But I'll say this, that as long as Dopey exists, Chris kind of is still here, even though it's so strange. And, and another thing that I heard from my sponsor after uh, Chris had died was, uh, you know, my sponsor's kind of tough with this stuff, but he was just saying that in the end, Chris really carried the message. That if you do not do the, the deal, you're going to fucking die. You know, and uh, and this, this note just moved me because it's like, who were we but just two junkies in recovery who thought it would be fun to make a podcast? And here we are like touching a life in Australia and it's just so beautiful. And, um, and Amber Portwood is just this woman who was this pregnant teen woman in Indiana who was a drug addict. She had her life upside down. She went to jail and she came out on the other side. She didn't, it doesn't seem like she really went through the 12 steps in the same way, and neither does this woman in Australia. Uh, Chris always said, like, whatever you can do to get clean, you do. I always say it's easier to do it with the 12 steps because the 12 steps is designed to do it. It's a thorough process. I don't necessarily 
understand the way the 12 steps work. I just know that if I do the work, it makes my life easier. It makes my sobriety easier. It's it's a simple way to, to get what I want in terms of my spiritual condition and my sober condition. Anyway, that's dopey. Um, I was going to do like this. This was going to be this crazy two-hour episode um, with this other interview. But then it was like, how long can a podcast be? And I was talking with Andrew on the Dopey uh, Nation page. So he posted that question. And you guys all answered that it could be forever. So maybe one day Dopey will be forever. Uh, or at least like two hours or something. But until then, we're going to keep it around here. And um, and I also think one day maybe we'll do more than one episode a week. And we will get hosts in. Uh, I have a bunch of uh, really, really good co-hosts to uh, line up. But since I had the interview pre-recorded, I didn't want to waste anybody's time. Anyway, stay strong, Dopey Nation. And, um, you know, I have to say toodles. Fucking for Chris, you fucking bastard. Toodles, have a good one. As Chris would say, write a review. Go on Reddit. Fucking send us a voicemail. Send us an email. Buy some merchandise. This is the the latest chapter in the Dopey Empire. Because if you guys buy uh, merchandise, we can do some more cool stuff. Um, I have to pay for all this podcasting business now that Chris has gone to. Uh, And not to mention people will see the Dopey gear and they'll be like, what's that? And you'll be like, that's the greatest podcast I ever heard. So anyway, again, stay strong, Dopey Nation. And even though I hate to say it, toodles. I wanna be good so bad. I wanna be good so bad, so bad. I wanna be good. Oh, this all ever had, this all ever had, this all ever had. I wanna be good so bad, so 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 bad, blah, blah, blah. I wanna be good so bad, blah, 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 blah. I wanna be good so bad, blah, 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 blah. I wanna be good so bad, That's good so bad. That's good, so bad. I want to take a walk around the world. I wonder would it do me any good. Until I get some money in my pocket, then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood. But I want to be good so bad. want to be so good, so bad, so bad. I want to be good so bad. Bad desires, all I ever had. And I want to take a ride up in the sky. Watch this aeroplane just pass me by. And I want to see a Lear jetliner take a dive. Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive. But I want to be good so bad. Want to be so good, so bad, so bad. I want to be good so bad bad desires all I ever had and my shadows get smaller and smaller and it's time to where I stand shadows getting smaller and smaller and it's time to where I stand and I wonder would they pay it any mind Leave this busted city far behind 
I'll take the high road, however far it winds. Because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find. And I wanna be good so bad. I wanna be good so bad, so bad. I wanna be good so bad. Bad desires all I ever had. Damn it, all these suckers make me mad. And it's all I ever had. And it's all I ever had. And these suckers make me mad. And I want to call my dad. And it's all I ever had. 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 And these suckers make me mad. And it's all I ever had. And I want to call my dad. And it's all I ever had. And it's all I ever had. And it's all I 